Genesis chapter 17, we're going to start there. I want to talk tonight and teach a little bit on the act of circumcision in the covenant between God and Abraham and his generations, and then the parallel between that and our relationship with Jesus Christ. I think there's something definitely there. Uh, the title, of, if you're taking notes, is what's on my heart, is the removing of the flesh. Now we see that on the physical side and what we'll see in, in the covenant between Abraham and, and God, but we see it in the removing of the flesh, in the dividing between spirit and flesh. And once again, that is what we have to understand that they, they rage war between the two. The flesh and the spirit are enemies of one another. So Genesis chapter 17, uh, there's tons we can dive into here. But we're going to start just at verse 1 and read on just to get the context of where God's uh, leading us tonight. Verse 1 of Genesis 17, And when Abram was 90 years and 9, or 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Now, let me just say this. This isn't in context of what I'm teaching tonight, but there's something to be said because we are men and women of sight. <laughs> it is so hard to be men and women of faith because faith and sight are not the same. Faith is not seen and yet trusting. Remember Thomas, he said, you see and believe, but blessed are they that have not seen and believe. Why? Because that is walking by faith. And yet we see Abram who's 90 and 9 years old and God saying, number one, I am almighty. Don't question me. Don't doubt me. I can do anything that I want to do. And, and he proves that in the life of Abraham. We see that. And then he says this to him. He says, walk before me. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Be thou perfect. You know, it'd be different. A lot of times, and I've been guilty of it, I've said, God, you go before me and I'll, and I'll follow you. And that's great and all. But with the obedience is to say, you know, we want to be people's sight. God, you show me where to go, and then I'll go. But that faith is to trust the voice of God and to walk in it. And he says to Abraham, I'm not going to show you what I'm going to do, but you just have to trust me. That I'm going to do something mighty and something exceedingly great in your life. But walk before me, and be thou, be thou perfect. And I will make my covenant between me and thee. Between who? Between me and thee comes down to that, folks. When we're talking about the relationship we have with Jesus Christ, it is not between me and Rock Branch Independent Church. <laughs> it is not between you and your pastor, you and your father, you and your brother. The covenant God wants to make is between you and him. It is that personal. He wants to say, he said, I want to make a covenant between me and thee. And then from that covenant, from that covenant, he says, I will multiply thee exceedingly. That covenant will spread. But it has to start here. It doesn't start corporately or, or worldwide. It starts on an individual basis. And let me just say this. As I was praying at the altar, that's where change has to start. That's where change has to start. One of my commitments I'm trying to make in 2021 is every single day I want to pray at the altar. Doesn't have to be altar here. Yesterday I went to a Bible study at Dunbar Mountain Mission. Prayed at the altar at Dunbar Mountain Mission. I have a little prayer break to the house. But that is a commitment because God is saying, right, it's going to have to start with you. This thing's got to start with you. If we're going to see change in the nation. I know we're looking towards Congress and we're looking towards the White House. But folks, it's got to start with me. We're pointing all the fingers at which side is wrong and which side's right. But i got to say, God, you just got to have to do something with me. I cannot worry. It, man, it's overwhelming. 
I mean, I self-destruct when I start thinking of the big picture. And God says, forget about it. This covenant I made is with you and me. And if you do what I say, then hey, that's one person that's made a change today. And if God and someone else makes a difference, and then it spreads. And that's what he says. He says, I will make a co my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face and God talked with him, saying, As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name any more be Abram, which Abraham in the Hebrew means high father. But he says, but my name shall be, but thy name shall be Abraham or the father of many. That is what uh, Abraham means, the father of nations, the father of many. But thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant, one that will last eternally. I'm so thankful that God's promises are not... Just temporary, not just for today, not just for tomorrow. But when God makes a promise for me, when he makes an agreement with me, when he makes a covenant with me, it is an everlasting covenant. To be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee, and I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger. <laughs> Tell me that doesn't make more sense today than it ever has before. Who feels like a stranger in the world today? I don't know how many people come up to me on a daily basis that I never imagined America would look like it does today. That's what they say. This is never what I thought America would look like today. And I don't care what side you're at. Everybody's saying it because you have to agree. And as a Christian, it seems like every single day I feel more like a stranger than I did the day before. Amen. Man, heaven just looks a whole lot better. I feel like I fit a little bit more into heaven every single day. And that's what he says here. He says, and after he said, I will let you have the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. I love that line when he says, a land wherein you're a stranger. You know, and everything that happens in, in biblical stories we see is geographically, but speaks to something uh, even more, a bigger metaphor uh, that we see. And it's almost to say you move into a land you have not yet occupied. Not yet occupied. Isn't that what faith is? To possess something you've not yet occupied? Hebrew says that, right? It's the evidence of things not seen. The substance of things hoped for, right? It's We don't have it, but we know it's out there, right? But what are we willing to do to possess it? That is what the scares so many people when it comes to our relationship with Jesus Christ because we know what it's capable of and we know what it looks like and man it's it's exactly what he told Abraham I am almighty God I mean that is huge that is massive to be to think almighty God wants to have a relationship with me what does that look like so the limits are it's it's limitless it's it's boundless of what the capabilities are but the question is how do we possess it how do we walk into it and this is what he says to Abraham. He begins to, to direct him to say, this covenant is going to look particular, unlike anything else you've ever seen before. And the, and the covenant we have through Jesus Christ looks different than everything else the world offers. This covenant we have is completely different, but it's perfectly reasonable to think about this when he says, 
to go into a land where they're strangers, land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. You know, it's this perspective to, to think about how, you know, anytime we step into a new relationship or a new occupation, it's, it's right, it's kind of scary. We don't know what it's going to look like. If you start a new church or, or go somewhere new, you know, you just go, oh, it could be full of strangers. But this is what faith does. This is what it looks like. It's exciting and nervous all at the same time. And God said, if you just trust me, you're going to see something miraculous happen and it will be exceedingly great and it will be fruitful. So verses 9 and on. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant, therefore thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep. Understand this. We talk about till we're blue in the face about grace. And, I, and, I, and I'm guilty of it because every time I preach, I talk about he does, he does it all. <laughs> when he did Calvary, he did the whole work. But... The responsibility on us as individuals is to what? Once again, the covenant could not have been made between us and God. It had to be made by God. If Otherwise, it would not be everlasting. <laughs> we do not have the capacity to create an everlasting covenant. We can't even keep our, our habits today. <laughs> we change our mind minute by minute. God can make an everlasting covenant. All we are called to do is what? Keep it. <clears throat> he said, this is my covenant, which thou... And thy seed shall keep. You have to keep it. We have to keep the covenant. Between me and you and thy seed after me. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. Shall be circumcised. So he says, this is my covenant. You're gonna, it's going to know. You're going to know. And he shall circumcise the flesh of the, your foreskin. And it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. It's going to be something you're going to see. It's going to be substance. This is the thing about the covenant between Abraham and Abraham's seed and God. It was not an idea. <laughs> it was not just an idea. It was something that had to actually happen. There had to be a severing of the skin to realize that this covenant was in place in that household. And I'm sick and tired of people that have made an agreement with God, have made a covenant with God, and have nothing to show for it. Nothing to show for it. No changed life. No repentant heart. No change in direction. And they just think that they have an agreement. This would be like someone in Abraham's household that says, I'm a part of the covenant, and yet I've not been circumcised. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It says, if anyone in your house has not been circumcised, he said he should be cast out. His soul shall be cast out. It had to actually happen. Amen. It has to happen. There's got to be a severing of the flesh. Leonard Ravenhill, my buddy, says the sign of a holy, uh, the sign of a holy life is is, is, uh, is holiness. <laughs> That's how you know it. It's got to be a change. You got to want to change. But he says it shall be a token of the covenant between mixed and you. See, we have our token. We have the proof of God's portion of the covenant. It's right there. It's right there. The cross and the blood that was applied on that cross on my life is the token. It's the proof, historically and biblically. Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whether you believe it or not, physically died on Calvary's Hill. They have the records to prove it. They don't talk about it in the classroom, and they don't talk about it on the news. But if you trace it back, there was a Jesus of Nazareth that was crucified in that time. The question is, who was he? Was he just another... 
rebel? Was he just another zealot? Was he just another person that died on the cross? Or was he God's only son? That is the question that you have to ask yourself. But to say that the, that man actually died on Calvary is historically accurate. And if you ever watched Case for Christ, Lee Strobel's Case for Christ, it's a wonderful story of an investigative reporter who was an atheist. His wife got saved. And he began set on a journey to defute or to pretty much discredit the entire biblical narrative. And the gentleman said it has to start at the cross. If you, if you can prove that the crucifixion of Christ did not happen, then it's a house of cards and the rest of the narrative will fall apart. And as he began to research it, he came to find out that it was indeed true. And it did actually happen. And at the end of the movie, he also had a born-again experience. But if you've never watched Case of Christ, a wonderful movie. But the question that I ask myself, or God, better yet, the Holy Spirit asked me, is that, Brett, you have my portion of the covenant. You have my proof of, of what I've severed on your behalf for this covenant to have. But where is the token for you? Ouch. <laughs> Do I have proof in my life that I have severed something, that I have severed the flesh, that I've separated off, that I've gotten rid of the old man, that I, the old me is dead and gone. This is the thing. Once the skin was severed from the foreskin, or the foreskin was severed, it would just wither and die. It was gone. It was no longer attached to the body. And we see that on a spiritual level as well. Matthew 5 and 30 says it. He said, if thy right hand offend thee, do what with it? Oh, let it, have, let it run. Let it, have its, let it have its fun, right? No. He says, if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off. Why? It's got to be severed. It's got to be proved. And it cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. We're talking about an everlasting covenant. This is why God calls Abraham in his generation and his seed to have this covenant, not only to separate Israel from other pagan nations, but to show a glimpse of of what Jesus Christ comes to do. And we're going to show that here in a little bit. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man shall in, in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with the money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. See, that's the mystery here. I, I, I begin to wrestle with this particular right, this, this circumcision of a, of a young child, eight years old. You know, we see that. And you ask yourself, why so... Why this, why this uh, act? Why circumcision be the one thing that separated? Why this being a part of the, the covenant? Well, number one, we could say it's something very dramatic, right? <laughs> Anybody, I don't care who you talk, I mean, I think we're all adults here. When you talk about circumcision, even now, it's kind of, you know, cringes because it's a dramatic, and it's something that would obviously affect the one that it was being uh, per performed on, and it's something like that. And it's also something to be seen, say that it might be an act that would certainly be unforgettable. You would never forget it. The token would always be there. The sign of it would always be there. That'd be the first thing. And maybe this, God said this, maybe there's a certain degree of pain that came with this procedure that was a part of the covenant of God. And folks, I'm going to be honest with you. I preached it recently, preached it last Wednesday. Today's little devotion was talking about the idol of comfort. And God, as he prunes us, and he begins to sever more and more of the flesh away from us. That is the point we want to get to. We are slowly, what God is wanting to perform in our life, according to what Paul's writing in Romans, is to be conformed to the image of Christ. That is what he came to do. That you would no longer be you, but your identity would be in Christ. But for that to happen, 
There has to be a severing of the flesh. And for many people, because we are so dependent and we love the flesh and we love the things of this world, which are fleshly and temporal, when it begins to sever away, it's a very painful act. And we cringe and we hold back and we say, I don't want to do it. But this is the part of the covenant. We have to separate ourselves from the world. We have to. And I know it's painful. It's very painful. But this is why it's so important to do it. And there's something to be said about this severing. It's something to be said about uh, about that they say in the customs, according to what in the writing of the Bible here and other theologians, that the, the father would circumcise the son. And then you ask, ask yourself, why would that be the case? Why would the father circumcise the son? And you would say, well, maybe it's something personal. Maybe something that, you know, obviously be something personal, something that the father may have experienced himself, something that would have been passed on from generation to generation. We talked about Mabel, you just said it a second ago. I'm so thankful I had a mother and father that did what? That taught me right from wrong. I had a mother and father that told me about Jesus, that brought me to church. It's something more personal. It's something that can be trusted. Do you think it's ironic that the one who had to sacrifice Isaac to God was his own father? And Isaac even said on the way up, with an utmost calmness, Father, we have the wood, and we have the fire, fire, but I don't see an offering. You know? When it comes from the Father, it can be trusted, right? Just trust me, it will hurt for a moment, but I promise, this is a part of what I'm trying to do in your life. And I believe when it comes to Jesus Christ, we see the proof of it through John 3.16, Ted. God, the Father, sent God the Son on our behalf. And yes it was painful. Much, much more painful for him. A part of the covenant than my portion of the covenant. Because you can see to be honest. To be attached to this world. To be attached to the flesh. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm doing way better than I ever have done. When I started living for Jesus Christ. When I had the flesh running the show. Man I was a mess. But when God got a hold of it man. It was painful for a second. Painful for a second. But now ah. I see what he was trying to do in my life. I wrote this in my notes. Think about the big picture. We're talking about humanity's attempt to reconcile themselves to the fact that something has to be given up in order for something else to happen. Something better. Talk about sacrifice for a second. Let me just go ahead and say this right now. I'll go ahead and say this now. We talk about that. About this, custom of this uh, covenant of circumcision. And you say, okay, let's say this. Let's say, uh, it's a question we could ask. If the future could be better because of a sacrifice, and sacrifices can vary in quality, how much better could the future be if the sacrifice was of the highest quality? Let me just, and I had to rewrite that as God revealed me, because there's a limit issue, right? There's a limit on how much we're willing to sacrifice in order for something to be better. God said this to Abraham. Your generation's going to be exceedingly fruitful. They're going to grow, but there's going to have to be a sacrifice. And that's when the human element comes in. We ask ourselves, well, if there's a limit to this thing, how much I'm going to... Because I have to ask myself that question. How good could my life be if I really got my act together? <laughs> and really got my act together and really put away all this stuff that the flesh comes about. What would it look like? What would my life look like? What would be my movement forward to where God is trying to take me, to be honest, that land of Canaan, to possess that life? 
that looks like an obedient life to Jesus Christ. But if it had to come at the expense of a sacrifice, how much am I willing to sacrifice in order for my future to be really what God wants it to look like? I know that's deep, but that's true. And this is what the covenant was trying to show Abraham and what Jesus Christ is just to show us. Uh, let me show you the proof of it. Look at the greatest sacrifice. The greatest sacrifice the universe has ever given. And look at the result we have. I'm saved right now because of that sacrifice. If you know Jesus Christ tonight, you're saved because of that sacrifice. If that sacrifice had been any less, would it have been enough to change the course of human history? We have America today because of that sacrifice. Even in the shambles it's in, it's because of Jesus Christ. All the fruit that America's ever produced is because of that right there. Anything less, it wouldn't have worked. See, that's the thing about God. There's no limit to the sacrifice because God sees it. But when it comes to the flesh, that's why the flesh has to be severed. It has to be given away. So, <laughs> verse 13. Look how it speaks of Christ. We're still in Genesis 17. Verse 13. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be sacrificed. Look at that. It speaks of Christ, right? He that is born in the house. He that is bought and purchased with my money. Must needs be circumcised. There's got to be proof of it. We have to see it. It's got to, That was the point of the, of the covenant. Was to separate yourself from everything else. Jesus Christ did not come to die for your sins. Just for you to say a small prayer. And look on the surface like there's actually a covenant. I want to see the proof. And the proof is if the flesh has been severed from the body, from the spirit. And my, uh, and my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. And the uncircumcised man child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. What it says right there. Pretty much saying if you're just playing games, <laughs> the proof will be that. The proof will be in the severing, in the act, not the thinking of it. Well, I was going to, or it just felt painful. And I don't, I don't why can't I? I mean, that's what people say. Oh man, that's good. Thank you, Lord. That's good. People say it all the time. Why can't I just live in the world and love Christ? Why can't I just run after the things that I want to run after? And run after Christ. You can't do it. That is a broken covenant. <laughs> you have to be circumcised. There has to be circumcised. We see that. You can't play games. Romans 8 13. Uh, Paul says this. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. Covenant says, if you're not circumcised, your soul will be cast out. You shall die. But if you through the Spirit do mortify. That word mortify. To sever, to kill, to destroy. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. This is the exchange. To be extremely fruitful, to be able to grow, to multiply. So thankful that God has saved me before I had children. Thankful. I mean, God can save you after. I believe there's something in him saving in, in Abraham in 99. If he would have done this great thing and created him as the father of all these nations at 40 or 30... 
Would it have meant a whole lot? No, but I think so many people say, God can't use me. and I got saved too late. I can't, be produce, I can't be productive for God now. Foolish. I am Almighty God. That's what he said. Before he even told him what he was going to do, he already knew he was 99. He already knew Sarah was old too. But he said, before anything, I'm going to let you know this. Because you're not going to believe me if I say I am Almighty God after it all. But I'm going to say first, I am Almighty God. But Romans 8 and 1, there is therefore no condemnation to them that which are in Christ Jesus, but so many people don't read the rest of the verse, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. See, if you walk after the flesh, I'm sorry folks, there is condemnation there. Because the flesh is already condemned. The flesh is already condemned, this is the problem. Paul said, the things I want to do, he said, I'm, I'm stuck with this war. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, I do do. He said, whatever good is, the evil is always present. That's the law of the flesh. But there is no condemnation. Those are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And to be fruitful. So turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verses 12 through 16. Look what God says here. And now, Israel, what doth the Lord God, thy God, require of thee, but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command on these days for thy good? Behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord thy God, the earth also, with all that it therein is. Only the Lord had a delight in thy fathers to love them, and he has chose their seed after them, even you above all people, as it is this day. And look what he says in verse 16. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart. Ah, so something that would have been understood... Because literally they bared the marks of the covenant <laughs> in this time. They would have understood it. It was what was their identity as a nation was this covenant. It was what separated them. It was one that was a brand to say we are part of Abraham. We are part of his seed. We, this, was, this was something concrete. Something that was not just an idea. Something that signified what they had given up for the better of the whole. <laughs> and God says... I've told you what I wanted. I've loved your fathers, and I've even loved you for whatever reason. So I've sensed a little bit of sarcasm right there in verse 15. And he had chosen their seeds after them, even you above all people. Even you above all people, as it is this day. Circumcise, therefore, the foreskin of your heart, and be no more stiff-necked. So he says, no longer, we're talking something deeper than just skin. We're talking about the heart. We need a change of heart. When there's a change of heart, the head begins to turn, right? That's what repentance truly looks like. Repentance is simply a change in direction. It's an about face. It's 180 degrees to say, you know what? Here's where my heart is, but God has done a work. He's, once again, uh, the word is what? Sharper than a two-edged sword. It is the scalpel in which severs the flesh from the spirit, 
and causes us to change and head in the other direction. But these, this nation of Israel has gotten to a point where they've become so stiff-necked that they didn't even look like they had a covenant anymore. There was no difference in them. They had not been set apart. They had not loved God with all their heart. And he said, you've got to circumcise the foreskin of your heart, and then you won't be so stiff-necked. So let's see a couple verses before we dismiss and what Paul says about this. Go to Romans chapter 2. I keep on going back to this theme. It's not an idea. Circumcision in the Old Testament was not an idea. It was an act. <laughs> and there was proof of it. A token of the covenant was that piece of skin. And in our relationship with Jesus Christ, it is not an idea. It is not an ideology. It is an act. It is a lifestyle. It is an actual change. And you will know that by your lifestyle. Right? <laughs> People should know if you're a Christian or not. People knew if they were an Israelite because they were circumcised. They were set apart. They had a difference. There was proof of it. Oh, I am a Christian. I know I don't look like it. People say that, I don't know. I may not look like it. I know I got a mouth, I know I still drink, and I know I still run around, but hey, I'm a Christian. That's an idea. That's like saying I'm an Israelite and not being circumcised. It does not work. <laughs> and Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verses 25 to 29, For circumcision verily profiteth, if thou keep the law. But if thou there be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law... Shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? I think he was just trying to confuse them. Did well for me. And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge thee, one by the letter, and circumcision does transgress the law. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew, which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, and not in the letter, whose praise is not of men, but of God. See, when Jesus Christ came, remember what they said to him? They said, we're seeds of Abraham. <laughs> and remember he called him, he said, if you serve sin, you're, if, you, if you commit sin, you're a servant to sin, but the truth shall set you free. Remember he said, the son liveth forever in the household, but the servants cast it out. And so they said they come on going back to Abraham. But once again, our covenant that God made between Abraham was actually something even deeper. It was an eternal covenant that he was making through his son, Jesus Christ. Just using Abraham as an actual account or an illustration, we see. But I love that. Verse 29, but he's a Jew, which is one inwardly. Your change has to be, the severing of your flesh has to be inwardly. To be honest, if you would cut off your hand, it would not stop you from sinning if the heart was not made right. Because you would just use the other hand. And if you cut off the left hand, if the heart was not made right, you would just use your stubs to continue to sin. It has to be a change in the heart. A severing from the flesh and the spirit. Which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, but a Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit. That's good. My favorite is this. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 11. I've saved this to the end. Man, this is so good. 
icing on the cake. Because we talked about the custom. And the custom was that the father would circumcise the son. We see that in illustration with Jesus Christ. He actually turned his back on his son to sever sin from mankind, to take on that, to, to forsake Jesus Christ so he would not forsake us. He did that on our behalf, that great severing between the two. But this is the thing. When, I have to, when I'm going to change in my life for there to be an actual circumcision of the heart, it's going to take the Father. I don't know if you've been there before, but behavior modification does not work. To say, I'm just going to try to do better. It lasts for a little while, and sure enough, <laughs> we're creatures of habit, we fall back. In. But if the Father has right to the heart, and if we would be like an obedient son to say, I trust you, I trust you, this is a part of our covenant that is everlasting. This is a part for me to possess something and to possess a land that I'm not to be a part of a nation that's separated from the rest of the world. All these things that the, the Old Testament covenant showed through Jesus Christ. If we would just say, God, you can have my heart. I know it's going to be painful, but I trust you to do what you need to do. If we would do that, look what it says right here. Because we would be changed people. Colossians chapter 2, verse 11. In whom also ye are circumcised... With the circumcision made without hands. Man, that's good. <laughs> without hands. In putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. <laughs> right there. This is what happens when Christ really has an opportunity for you to truly be open let him in. To say you can have it. This is the thing about the Old Testament covenant too. That part of the body was very private, very sensitive, very particular, right? Wasn't that they were severing the arm or the fingertip. But that part, it's a very private part. And this is the thing when it comes to the heart. To give God our most private parts. You know, which is our heart. To say, God, you have right away. And as if he doesn't already, he already knows our inner parts, our deepest, darkest secrets, all our skeletons, all our failures, all our regrets, all our sins. He knows all that. But it's different to say, I know you know it, but I'm letting you in anyways. I'm letting you have all of it. And I need you to come in and sever the flesh from the spirit. I need, I need it to be gone. I need it to be severed. And he said, when you allow that to happen, it's a circumcision that is conducted without hands. It is the, the Spirit of God, meaning the Word of God, into our hearts. And it shows the proof of it. The token of it is this. It is the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh. When Jesus Christ had right away to my life... Things I was not able to stop doing. Things that I knew were not in accordance to God's will in my life. Begin to stop. Things I could not do on my own. But the Holy Spirit, when he had right away to my heart, he did that for me. But it wasn't just an idea. It was concrete. It was a moment in my life when I decided, as Melinda sang, to follow Jesus. And, and it could be painful to decide to do that, to, to let him in. But I'm telling you, man, it's worth it. It's worth it. But it has to be the removing of the flesh. We're going to go to prayer right now, and then we'll dismiss. It's not an idea, folks. Following Jesus is not an idea. Putting off the flesh is not an idea. It is a commitment. It is a commitment. It's something tangible. 
to live a life that is looks like the covenant that he's called to, to have with you and only with you. To say that's it. I can't I can't have both. I can't have the flesh and the spirit. I can't be circumcised and still have the foreskin. I can't be a part of the covenant and yet not be a part of the covenant. It's not what he came to do. He came to have the heart, to sever the flesh from the spirit and to remove it. That piece to throw it away. It's gone. That's the old you. When you, your identity with the skin, with the flesh, your identity is with the rest of the world. But whenever it's removed, ah, your identity is something new. You're a new nation that is going to possess something new. Folks, we're going to possess heaven one day. And I don't know if you know or not, but heaven has no sin. <laughs> heaven has no sin. And I'd like to get prepared for that today. I'd like to begin taking things out of my life that I know aren't going to be in heaven. How come we're looking forward to heaven having no sin, but while we're down here, we're fine with all the sin that the world can offer? I don't know if heaven's really going to be much of a home. You're going to be more a stranger in heaven if you love sin. And only God can make you hate sin. You're not going to make it if you have sin. <laughs> yeah, Cliff, bless you, brother. You're right. You're not going to make it. You're not going to make it if you love sin, if you love the world, if you love the Father, not in them. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your word. Father, it's as deep as, as we want to go. And Father, I'm so thankful. Sometimes I feel like I'm I'm way out there in the deep end. And, and then you just open up the doors of your word. And Father, I feel like I'm in the kiddie pool. And I just appreciate that because uh, this word never grows old. And Father, this relationship never grows old. And I know that's not on my behalf, Father. I, I know I get old getting used to, but Father, you never get old. And I appreciate all you do for us. And uh, as we prayed earlier at the altar, we just need you. Uh, we need you for revival. We need you for a severing from the flesh, from the spirit. Father, we need, we need to look and be as the people you've called us to be. Separated, holy, different in the world. Father, it's not just an idea. I believe that's the problem with the church today is so many have not actually made the commitment of the covenant to sever the flesh from the spirit. They said it, they look on the surface, but Father, you know their heart and you know whether the flesh remains or not. But help us today to be more like you each and every day. Father, thankful for the sacrifice that you gave. That is our example of what sacrifice truly looks like. The sacrifice of Calvary. Father, be with every family represented tonight. Be with the kids downstairs. We pray they learn something about you. 